You're listening to Key Conversations for Leaders. This is episode number 22. Welcome, everybody. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how to get out of your own way by mastering your mindsets with Dr. Ryan Gottfriedson. We'll be covering brain science as the future of leadership research, the four innate desires of leaders, and shaping culture by shaping mindsets, and much, much more. If you look at the major successes and the massive setbacks you've had in your career, they can all be traced back to conversations you either had or didn't have. In fact, your future and that of your company is determined by the quality of conversations you have with your team, your customers, and yourself. And that's what this show is about. Better conversations for better leaders. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Key Conversations for Leaders. I'm your host, John Ryan, and today we have a very special guest, Dr. Ryan Gonfredson. Ryan is a mental success coach and cutting-edge leadership consultant, author, trainer, and researcher. He is currently a leadership and management professor at the Mahalo College of Business and Economics at California State University, Fullerton. He holds a PhD in organizational behavior and human resources and is the author of Success Mindsets, the key to unlocking greater success in your life, work, and leadership. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Hey, thanks for having me on, John. I've been really excited for this. Excellent. Thank you. You know, I want to begin by asking, you know, why is it that mindsets are so foundational to success? Uh, man, you're getting right into it. I love it. Uh, <laughs> so what the way that we describe mindsets is our mental lenses that shape how we view the world. And I think a lot of people see mindsets as kind of being this fluffy, almost ethereal concept. Yeah, we all need to have good mindsets, but it's but where's the substance behind it? And so when I talk about mindsets, that's, I feel like that's my job is to bring the substance behind mindsets. Not that it's anything I've created. I'm just tapping into both psychology and neuroscience and what they're saying, the role our mindsets plays in terms of we operate. And so the basic idea is since our mindsets are these mental lenses, how we see the world, that shapes how we think, learn, and behave. So, for example, when we think about this COVID-19 shutdown that we've all been going through, we've seen people who have seen this as though the sky is falling. We've seen other people who see this as a unique opportunity to learn, grow, develop, and push forward. And so, depending upon how we see things, influence then how we process in those situations. But the reality is, is that even though we describe our mindsets as mental lenses, They are literally neural connections in our prefrontal cortex that shape how we, one, take in information, how we interpret that information, and then based upon the information that our mindsets filter in and how we interpret it, that is what activates the different elements about ourselves, like our different personality traits, our skills, our talents, so that we can navigate the situations that we encounter. And so literally... Our mindsets are effectively the first line, uh, maybe of defense to to play out that language, but it's the first line or the front line between the situations that we're in and and how we interact with those those situations. And so literally, as we dive into the neuroscience behind mindsets, our mindsets are literally the most foundational element about who we are because they shape the the information that comes in and based upon that information that shapes how we then process and navigate. Does that make sense? 
I think it does. And I, I want to ask a couple questions to explore a little bit more about that. So I, first of all, I love that you're taking it from a you know psychological perspective, a concrete perspective versus the, you said the airy-fairy, ethereal, well, just positive mindset, which is very ambiguous. And what does that really mean? But you're getting into the, yeah, the neurological aspect that it sounds like it's the, the barrier between my internal world and my external world that determines how I'm perceiving the external world is, is, am I getting close to that approximation? Yeah. So it shapes how we're perceiving our external world and then how we perceive our external world based upon our mindsets then activates the different elements of our internal world. So let me give you another example that, that I think is, is uh, a fun one to bring up is how do you react when you get constructive criticism? So when I ask groups this, most people say is effectively they get defensive and they kind of get this emotional reaction. Maybe they tune them out or they shut their brain down. But then there's other people who who look at constructive criticism as being this incredibly valuable information that will help them learn, grow and improve. And depending on our reaction to constructive criticism, you know, I'm kind of painting as an either or, and it's not necessarily always an either or, but our our instinctual reaction to constructive criticism is based on the mindsets that we have. These mental lenses that cause us to see constructive criticism as either being bad and a threat or being good and a help. And so for most people, they don't, they're not conscious of their mindsets, yet they are dictating what research has found is 95% of our thinking, feeling, judging, and acting is all primarily founded on our non-conscious automatic processes, which are driven by our mindsets. So you mentioned the prefrontal cortex, and which I connect with the, the rational, logical part of our, our being. And, and I always mix up some of the parts of the brain, so please correct me if I'm off. But I, I think of the emotional center is, is the amygdala. Am I? Yeah. So does that emotional center, tying it back to the crisis and feedback, is it constructive? Do I look at it as a negative or positive? The crisis, is the sky falling, et cetera? It seems like the emotions would also be, is that also inside of behind the veil of, of that mindset? Yeah, this is, and I, I love that you're exploring here. And just for full disclosure, I'm kind of an amateur neurologist, right? So uh, I don't, I'm not an expert, but this is, this is the next frontier for leadership science is the mind. Um, and, and so I, I, I'm doing some really deep dives right now on these topics. And I'll, I'll bring up some of the things that I'm learning. But what, from a mindset perspective, what researchers have found is that our, we kind of have two memory systems. One is a rapid fire memory system. One is a slow building memory system. So for example, um, if I had you reflect upon your last vacation, is there a memory that stands out to you, right? Mm -hmm. so, so when you do that, what you're doing is you're activating memory that's stored in your fast firing memory system. Because the only way to activate that memory is if you're initiated to go back to that. If, if you're not initiated to go back to that, you're never going to go back to it. But when you activate it, 
you could, it's almost like you're there again. You could smell the smells, you can hear the sounds, like it's a really rich memory. But, and that's not where our mindsets reside. Our mindsets reside in our slow building memory system. So based upon multiple interactions in the past, such as, uh, I'll give you an example. My, my wife, when she was two years old, uh, her brothers made her watch the movie It. So now she is deathly afraid of clowns, like literally deathly afraid of clowns. I grew up in Utah going to rodeos in the summer, and I see clowns as being these fun rodeo people. So when we see clowns, what's going on is we're activating this slow binding memory system of past experiences that has caused us to see those pieces of information in unique ways. And we could categorize all of this into different sets of mindsets, which I'm sure we'll get into. So that being said, what, what is going on is we've got different levels of our brain. And, and to simplify things, we've got what is generally referred to as the mammalian or the lizard brain. And this is kind of the right off of our brain stem. There's the amygdala, there's the hippocampus, and there's a, there's a couple of other pieces there that are more of this mammalian brain, whereas the outer rim of the brain, particularly the prefrontal cortex, to your point, is the rational side of our brain. This is the more mature and evolved brain. And, and so both of these t- for parts of the brain seem to tap into these memories, to the, the slow binding memory system. And, and so emotions, I, what I, I guess what I would say is emotions don't necessarily play a role. Emotions are a byproduct of how these two mechanisms of the brain are working together. So where I've been currently diving into this is looking at what is the role that trauma plays in people's mindsets over over the period of their life. And it's really fascinating. And what what research has found is that trauma, um, and I'll give you, this is a phrase that I picked up actually reading a book this morning, affects our window of tolerance. So a, a window of tolerance is how open are we are, for example, to new ideas, new experiences, uncertainty, things like that. So people who have gone through trauma, they have a smaller window of tolerance generally than those people who have not gone through trauma. And so what this means is in terms of these two systems of the brain, the mammalian and lizard-like brain is is hyperactive relative to this rational brain. And so the mammalian and lizard-like brain can overload and, and the information doesn't even get past that to our prefrontal cortex, which is where the more positive mindsets really need to function because the more positive mindsets are generally intentional mindsets. And, and so um, what happens is when when a situation occurs that activates this lizard-like or mammalian part of the brain, um, it's our capability of, of, of controlling that shapes our, our emotions, if that makes sense. So, so it's our emotions don't necessarily shape our mindsets. It's this lizard and mammal-like brain that then activate emotions and activate the degree to which we can control those based upon kind of the strength of our lizard brain to our more rational brain. And if if those aren't in balance effectively, then we're going to have a really hard time 
with regards to being intentional with our mindsets. Having trauma and, and having an overexcitability of the, the lizard brain and the mammalian brain, then what that does is it gives you less ability to use your rational frame of mindset from the prefrontal cortex to make conscious decisions. And you're actually probably more being reactive than analytical, I think, at that point in time. Yep. And the way that I would just say it slightly differently is is we're being reactive as opposed to thoughtfully responsive. Thoughtfully responsive. I didn't want to say proactive, but yeah, that's a great way to say it. So thoughtfully responsive. Now in your research, because it sounds like a lot of this is really below the surface, right? It's the iceberg and all these things are happening. Can we shift our mindsets over time? Can we consciously shape them? This is why I love focusing on mindsets. So if if we've got... Uh, if we look at all the different attributes about ourselves and we stack them up in order of at the bottom, really instable traits. And at the top is really stable traits. So at the bottom, we'd have things like uh, emotions and moods and attitudes, because those are things that we could change really quickly. At the top, we would have things closer to akin of intelligence, personality traits. I'm not saying we can't change those, they're just much more difficult to change. And, and I would say that most in most leadership development focuses on those top levels, which are actually things that we can't really change over time. That we're just limited. And, and those are what we call uh, our innate traits. Mindsets fall in the middle. So these are semi-stable traits. We can change them. They're not as easy to change as moods and emotions. But once we do change, they have a tendency to stick around for a while. And these are what we call our learned traits. And so I I love focusing on mindsets because as we develop our mindsets and improve our mindsets, not only does that enhance ourselves right there, but then it enhances our ability to more effectively tap in to our innate traits. So for example, if you've got there's some people who consider charisma to be an innate trait of a personality attribute. Well, who's going to be more effective? Somebody that is charismatic and has an open mindset or somebody who's charismatic and has a closed mindset? Well, the person is going to be more effective. So, so we get more out of who we are as we improve our mindset. So I, I think that mindsets are, it's not the only thing to focus on in terms of development, but it is, is, probably the most important element. And at the same time, it's probably the most overlooked element. I'm, I'm loving where you're, where you're saying it. So the, the stable, instable sounds like it's like unstable, like a negative way, but it's really means more, it's more malleable, changeable, yep. but the impact is less. So the, the more stable you go, the more permanent, the more relatively fixed it is. In, in a shorter term, but the mindset, it sounds like that's in that sweet spot where it's, actually shiftable and and actually can allow you to uh, multiply or amplify what you have from an innate, the, the stable level of the spectrum too. Is that? Yeah. Let me give you a, a, an awesome example of an of a experiment that was conducted. So the, the, in this experiment, they took a group of financial professionals and exposed half of them to a three-minute video about how stress is debilitating. The other group saw a three-minute video about how stress is enhancing. Both of these videos were based on science, and they're both designed to activate 
different neural connections, mindset neural connections in their prefrontal cortex. And then what they did is they tracked their engagement, their performance, and their blood pressure over the next two weeks. And what they found is those that saw the three-minute video about how stress is enhancing had higher engagement, higher performance, and lower blood pressure. So this is an example of a, a three-minute intervention, a three-minute video shifted mindsets that affected their attitudes, their performance, and even their physiology. And we can't expect this to continue in the long term after one single intervention. So we could see it in two weeks. But if we want to make longer-term shifts in our mindsets, all we need to do is engage in similar interventions on a repeated basis over time. And as we do that, what we're doing is we're hitting the gym for our brain and we're activating and strengthening our positive mindsets so that in future situations, when we encounter a situation, we're much more prone to filter that through our positive mindsets, these strong, more quickly um, firing neural connections than our less or slower negative mind. That, that's a great example that that study that's amazing i can't believe really blows my mind the three minute video had that level of impact and like you said it's not like it's going to be forever but you have to reinforce that so in, in your research it sounds like consistent development and active intentional developing of that mindset is important what percentage would you say that people have like naturally occurring positive success mindsets so I have a mindset assessment that people could take. I think you've taken this, right? So yes. uh, I've had about 11,000 people take this mindset assessment. And we look at four different sets of mindsets. And the all four of these sets of mindsets, um, are I focus on these sets because these have been studied for 30 plus years, right? There's, there's other mindsets that are out there, such as uh, abundance and deficit mindsets, which I love the concepts behind them. I just got zero research backing on them, right? So, so the four mindsets that I focus on are, are, are research back. So across these four sets of mindsets, what I've found is that only 5% are in the top quartile for all four sets of these mindsets, meaning 95% of us have got significant work to do with regards to our mindsets. And I would even say that, that probably half have multiple mindsets on the negative side. And, and so, um, and this is where I love, again, I love focusing on mindsets because one, I think we undervalue them. We don't understand the foundational role that they play. And so we've kind of talked through some of that. But then the next question becomes, well, what mindsets do I need to have to be successful? And do I have those or not? And so then we start talking about what mindsets are out there, what mindsets they need to have, and then as they take the mindset assessment and learn about these mindsets, what individuals are doing is deepening their self-awareness at, at a level that's probably deeper than they've ever gone before. They're awakening to these non-conscious mechanisms that shape how they think, how they learn, and how they behave. And it's once we awaken to these things that we can then do something about it. But as long as we continue to stay blind to them, they'll continue to just kind of operate whether for the positive or for the negative, depending of, upon the quality of our mindsets. So the first step is awareness, which I think is where your quiz comes in and, and shining a light on your strengths and your opportunities for improvement. And then what you do from there really depends on where the deficit is. 
Yeah, usually. So, um, and, and if I was engaging in a coaching practice, I would not only just focus on where the deficit is, but out of these, generally out of the, out of these four sets, we can identify one of these that is wrecking greater havoc on their progress to their goal goals than another mindset. So usually if I was, if we were to engage in a coaching, uh, call or, or a process, what I would, I would be focused on overall, what are the more negative mindsets? Cause that would be concerning to me, but most importantly, which of these mindsets is causing you to get towards your goal more slowly than had you had the more positive mindsets, which one is wrecking greater havoc on your progress. And once we awaken there, that's where I primarily want to focus at least initially. Is there a finite number of uh, limiting mindsets that exist? There isn't, but but usually there's one that that plays the biggest role um, is what I've found. And and so, for example, there's a a client of mine that I have, and he's a, a sales rep, and he has just felt perpetually stuck as a sales rep, but he wants to become a sales leader as one of his goals. And another goal that he has is he wants to sell in his line of work, $5 million of business during the year. And that's a significant amount of work. It's a stretch goal for him, which is great. And so I'll ask him, what are you doing or not doing that's preventing you from reaching your goals? And one of the things that he said is, well, I'm probably not making as many phone calls as I should, right? And most personal development coaches probably stop there. They just say, okay, well, you just need to start making more phone calls. Well, if it was that easy, I, you know, my guess is both of us would be out of a job. Uh, <laughs> yes. So we've got to dive deeper. There's a reason why he's not making phone calls. And so then we, well, what are your, why aren't you making phone calls? And then he, he answers and says, I'm afraid that, uh, of failing. I'm afraid of looking bad. And therefore, with this fear, he's got a commitment to look good. And, and he's also got an assumption, and that assumption is, if I make phone calls, I'm going to get a no. Well, And he's seeing that as truth, which there may be a lot of truth to that, but that's not absolute truth. There's going to be some people that say yes, right? So as he's got these fears, commitments, and assumptions that are, causing, that are preventing him from picking up the phone and making the calls that he needs to make. And so then we come back to, what mindset is fueling these fears, commitments, and assumptions? And because he identified as his fear, um, this fear of failing and of looking bad, then, then we identify this as being primarily driven by a fixed mindset. So when we have a fixed mindset, we don't believe that we can improve our talents, abilities, and intelligence. And we have a tendency to see the world in terms of haves and have-nots. And so if I, if I fail at something with a fixed mindset, that means I'm a have not, and we don't believe that we can ever become a have. And so those with a fixed mindset, because of, of them not wanting to be seen as a have not, they become fearful of failure, failure, and their primary focus is on looking good and on succeeding. And then there, there's a variety of negative side, side effects that, that come because of that. And one of those side effects, kind of to your point, is because he's focused on on not failing, he's also focused primarily on himself 
And so when he's on the phone talking to a customer, he's thinking, don't fail, don't fail, don't fail, which is a self-focused mentality as opposed to add value, add value, add value, which is another focused mentality. And so that taps also taps in and affects his inward to outward mindset continuum. Does he see the people that he's working with as an object or as a person? And so he's got multiple mindsets he's got to work on, but the the biggest one that seems to be wrecking havoc is this fixed mindset. Does that make sense? It does. I I like that description and thank you for that uh, hypothetical analogy. So like if we were in that situation, that's might be how you'd break it down. So breaking it down and tracing it to the mindset can reveal all kinds of things underneath the hood that, that if you look at it from the surface level, well, let's just track your calls and, and have some accountability. But it's not that. It's not that at all. It's, it's a fear-based mentality, a me focus versus a adding value focus. And, and that's that mental lens that you're talking about as well. So when I speak with groups of people, one of the things that I'll commonly say is uh, because I, once we start talking about mindsets and you've got to have positive, more effective mindsets, but my, my belief is that everybody in the room is thinking, yeah, I've got really good mindsets, right? We have a tendency to think that our mindsets are the most ideal mindsets to have. And that's because our life experience has taught us that that's the case. I mean, if we thought that we could have better mindsets, we would have already changed our mindsets. Mm-hmm. So the m- mental lenses that we're using to view the world we fundamentally currently believe that they're the best mindsets to have, but they may not be. They may not be serving us as well as they think that they are. And in terms of my own personal journey, as I started to learn about these different mindsets, I I found that I was on the negative side of the continuum for each of these sets of mindsets. I mean, I think I work on, I think I focus on mindsets primarily because it's therapy for me. I need it as much as anybody else does. Um, and, And, but as people dive into these concepts and as people read my book, what I, what I'm hearing is people are saying, this is one of the most, one of the deepest introspective dives I've ever done. And they also say simultaneously, it's not easy. There's some pain associated with it, but, but I now more clearly see how I am getting in my own way. And I, now I more clearly see how I can get out of my own way and unlock the success that I've been seeking. So connecting back to that, we all tend to think that we have positive mindsets because we have that confirmation bias that, hey, well, look at all the all those good choices I've made to get me to where I am. Then even before the awareness, which we said a little bit ago, that awareness is the beginning, is a willingness to accurately look and take inventory and take stock of do I actually have a positive, uh, helpful mindset versus a, a deficiency mindset in, in that case? That's that's it. How do you do that? How do you help someone get to that point of being willing to admit that maybe their mindsets are actually causing them to not get the results they're looking for? Yeah, this is one of the reasons why I, I'm doing a lot of research around trauma, because what research on trauma says is that people who have experienced trauma, which is a much higher percentage than we, what we would like to think. Um, for example, one in every four women have been abused in their life. Mm. 
right? So, and, and that's that's abuse. That's not neglect, which is also a very traumatic thing and a wide variety of other things. So, um, so a lot more people have gone through trauma than, than we would like to think. But, and what research on trauma has found is trauma generally as a way of coping with that trauma, um, they shut down elements of their brain that allow them to actually do that introspection. And so there is a, there's a certain percentage of the population where they, they avoid any invitation to introspect, right? So there's that group of people. And I, I'm, what I'm wanting to learn is how do we reach them? Because again, I, I, I don't think that they're the majority. I think that they're the minority, but they're a significant minority. Uh, for everybody else um, who hasn't experienced trauma, I, I think generally, just by learning about mindsets and about the foundational role that they play in their lives, it to them, they say, oh, this seems worthwhile to explore. At least let me explore it. Now, how accepting they are may be dependent upon their mindsets, how closed versus how open they are. Um, but I, I think most people get a lot of value from doing mindset work and diving into the topic, and they have the ability to kind of run with it. But there, again, going back, there is a small percentage of people that have a really difficult time doing that. And, and so what I'm learning in terms of how do we help people do that is, is there's a, a terminology that's called vertical integration. And, and it's the idea that how, how integrated our mind is with our body. So when somebody experiences trauma, they literally, as a way to cope with that, they disconnect from their body. So their body may be feeling things, but their brain doesn't register it as well as somebody who hasn't experienced trauma. And so what needs to happen for these individuals who have experienced trauma, we've got to build up that vertical integration. And there's different techniques to do that. Um, the way that they're generally described is either a top-down process or a bottom-up. So a top-down would be we use our prefrontal cortex and, and allow us to kind of explore our body. So meditation practices, particularly body scans, is one of those practices. The bottom up, an example of a great, uh, I, I thought was a really fascinating example, is uh, a therapist told their client that they need to do, essentially, take horse riding classes. And, and, and it, these classes are not just about learning how to ride a horse. It's also about taking care of a horse. And so through one is the individual is connecting with another kind of being. Uh, there's a lot of kind of brushing and care that where you're touching, you're using your body to move, to feel, um, which is really good. And then when you're riding a horse, you're starting to become very conscious about your posture, your body movement, where you're, how you're balancing yourself. And so by going, this is again, a bottom up process. And so what, what all these activities are doing is helping that individual better connect with their body and better connect with others, which, which they had a problem doing so because of the trauma. So th these are, to me, these are really interesting uh, ideas that uh, as a whole, I don't think that these ideas are great for people who have gone through trauma. I think they're great for everybody. A and they help facilitate deepening our self-awareness and also our conscientiousness of others and engaging in perspective taking.
I love that intervention, uh, you know, not just top down, but bottom up and connecting to a horse, another body, literally connecting to another body and getting that connection. I don't know if you, uh, psychologist, Dr. Tom Miller has the metaphor, which goes all the way back to the elephant and the rider and yep. the horse and the rider. And, and it's your unconscious mind, like the horse in that moment becomes your non-conscious, subconscious, unconscious mind. And you're creating that connection with yourself, plus the endorphins, the oxytocin, and all that stuff that's getting released as well. So very, very cool stuff. So for most people, they don't necessarily need to have... So yes, benefit for doing that. There's a benefit, and it externalizes the the mind-body connection. Um, But if you have that trauma in your past, then probably even more so, even more so prescribed. For sure. Yeah. So I, I mean, as a whole, what mindfulness does... For all of us, regardless of where we're at, it is it enhances our windows of tolerance, right? So it, it allows us greater capacity to take in maybe alternative perspectives, different ideas, and and not be triggered by them. That we're able to sit with them, be present in the moment, and, and be aware of our own feelings as we're experiencing that information. So. So mindfulness practices as a whole, I think, have huge benefits for everybody, regardless of whether it's trauma or not. It just happens to be that people who have experienced trauma, uh, they need it more severely than the rest of us. But we can all significantly benefit from it. So if you increase your window of tolerance, um, is there more satisfaction, more happiness in in the positive emotions that you might go go with that? Well, it's a more grounded approach. So I think as a whole, it, it allows us to be more intentional about then creating greater well-being for ourselves and to make sure that we're putting ourselves in, this, in the situations that bring about that greater well-being. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's as a whole, what we're doing is we're creating greater capabilities of navigating situations effectively. Another way of saying that is we are enhancing our agility and our future readiness because it allows us to take in these new ideas and new perspectives. And if it adds value, we adjust. If it doesn't, we say, okay, that's nice. And we keep going on our way. It's the people that have a hard time being agile and future ready is they take in information. And as because it's new, just because it's new that they kind of resist it because it seems scary. It seems difficult uh, just because they're, they're unfamiliar with that. Goes back to the lizard fear response and things like that. Every new idea that you bring in, I can see you doing a a full day workshop just on agility and future readiness. Like that's a, that's a whole focus in and of itself. Uh, But I I think, I think we'll keep our focus here for, for a moment. And just in this one, when when people are in a job where they're stressed, because what, what job doesn't really have stress? I, I know that you've indicated in, in your research, you found that people are actually quite often more, they'd rather have another boss than actually more pay or, or something to that effect. That, that yep. is, is it, so interpersonal versus financial, like how does that resolve itself? Like how does that work? Well, it's, it, it's interesting, right? So let me give you some other leadership statistics. So you mentioned 65% would prefer to have a new boss compared to more pay. Um, 75% of employees say that their boss is the worst and most stressful part of their job. 82% of employees 
state that they can't trust their manager to tell the truth, right? So employees' experiences with their managers are generally negative as a whole. I'm not saying that everybody, all managers and leaders are bad, but the thing that's really interesting to me, because organizations bring me in to work with their leaders and managers, and, and I know these statistics, and I'll ask these leaders and managers, are you doing the best that you can in your job? And all of them say yes. And then, then I throw out these statistics and I make the connection. Look, for many of us, our current best is having negative effects on the people that we lead. And why is that? Right? And that's when we start to talk about mindsets and, and self-awareness. Because at the core, what is going on, what would lead a manager's best to have negative effects for the people they lead is they've got more of the negative mindsets which are actually um, self-protecting mindsets. So let me get, I'll I'll give you four desires here. Um, And and I think that all leaders feel pressure to to espouse these desires. A desire to look good, be right, avoid problems, and get ahead, right? I think all all leaders kind of feel pressure to look good, be right, avoid problems, get ahead. Because who wants to look bad be wrong, have problems, and get passed up. Well, nobody, right? Because so these desires are really easy to justify. But when we look at these desires, where is the focus? It's on ourselves. How do we look? Are we right? Do we have problems? Are we getting ahead? And these, all of these desires are attached to the four negative mindsets that I focus on. Fix, close, prevention, and inward. And so many individuals... Leaders uh, in particular, when we have these negative mindsets, these negative desires, we are effectively in self-protection mode. And to go back to your original question is when we feel stressed, what's our natural inclination? It's to be like a turtle that pulls our head in ourselves and self-protect, right? So when COVID-19 happens and all the shutdown occurs, stress goes up, most people are inclined to actually take on more of the negative mindsets. but what we need to do is we need to be much more intentional about our mindsets and their associative desires. So instead of having a desire to look good, we should have a desire to learn and grow, which may mean at times that we have to look bad as we're learning and growing. Instead of having a desire to be right, we should have a desire to learn and grow, which means at times we are going to have to be wrong. Instead of having a desire to avoid problems, we should have a desire to reach goals, which generally means we're going to have to wade through problems. Instead of having a desire to get ahead, we should have a desire to lift others, which means at times we're going to have to put ourselves on the back burner. And so these four positive desires are associated with the four positive mindsets, growth, open, promotion, and outward. And and what happens is that if we could stay with these positive desires, we're keeping our neck out of our shells, which allows us to rather be in self-protection mode, be in organization advance mode or in contribution mode. And it just takes being intentional to get there. Well, one, self-awareness, and then two, intentionality to get there. I love that. Thank you so much for for sharing that. So for our listeners out there, our leaders at all levels of the organization, how do they start to develop those 
positive mindsets or does it begin with something like your quiz? I'm not just trying to plug your quiz here for a second, but, but seriously getting that self-awareness, like we talked about a couple of times throughout the training or discussion to really know what to do next. Yeah. There's two things to think about it. If I, if I'm a organization and I want to shift the mindsets of my people on my organization, uh, I need to focus on mindsets as a way to shape the culture of the organization because culture incentivizes these different mindsets. So if we have a really competitive culture, then people are going to be much more inclined to want to look good, be right, avoid problems and get ahead. If we have a more collaborative culture, they're going to be more inclined to learn and grow, to find truth, to reach goals and to lift others. And so one, from an organizational perspective, if I want to shape the mindsets of my leaders, I've got to shape the culture, and oftentimes the incentive structures to fuel those positive mindsets. But if I'm a leader, even operating in a negative culture, that doesn't mean that I have to take on these negative mindsets. To your point is we need to deepen our self-awareness and we need to be intentional about these mindsets. And what I found is is that the mindset assessment that I have, uh, again, it's free on my website if anybody wants to take this, but uh, what it does for individuals is it brings some objectivity to, to their introspection. It's kind of, here's where you are relative to 10,000 other people. And then what that does, right, is it makes it a little bit more concrete for them. And it at least gets us a foot in the door for, for making the shifts that we need to internally to become the person that we want to be to our external world. And, and so it's definitely a foot in the door. It's one tool that's designed to deepen our self-awareness. And then there's some other resources involved if people take the assessment where they can, here's some activities they can engage in if they want to work on shifting their mindset. Fantastic. Dr. Ryan, thank you so much for being here and spending the time with us. So would you mind sharing this? Uh, what's the best way for them to, to find that uh, assessment and to stay in touch with you and to find out more about your work? Yeah, thanks for asking. My website's the best place to go, ryangodfordson.com. You'll see a a link really quickly to the free mindset assessment. If you want to do some deeper mindset work, of course, on my website, you'll find my book and I have a bunch of free promotional giveaways. I've got a a tool called a digital mindset coach, which are designed to be regular interventions designed to activate and exercise these positive mindsets. And I've got an online course called High Octane Mindsets for the people that really want to do some deep transformational work. So that's the best place to go. Uh, next best place would be uh, if you want to connect with me, LinkedIn is probably the social media network where I'm the most active. Wonderful. Thanks again so much. And congratulations on all your continued success. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, John. And thanks for the great questions. Thank you. To connect with Ryan, again, check out ryangotfordson.com. I'll put links in the show notes. And until next time, develop yourself, empower others, and lead by example. Thanks for listening to Key Conversations for Leaders with your host, John Ryan. If you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe and please let us know. Give us a rating or write a review. If you have a question, send me an email to john at keyconvo.com. And if you haven't already, connect with me on Twitter at Key Convo or on LinkedIn under John Ryan Leadership.